All righty, you are listening to Lavender Hill here on KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD 89.3 on the FM and online at KZUM.org. Perhaps you're using one of those handy-dandy, smarter-than-a-calculator devices and listening to the show on your favorite mobile listening app like TuneIn or Next Radio. Or you could be listening up to two weeks after original broadcast date thanks to the KZUM archives, which can be found at kzum.org slash archives. And don't forget, since this is a primarily talk program, you can also find the talk segments of Lavender Hill on the podcast uh, tab for KZUM there at the website. All righty then. Well, I want to say happy birthday to Joe Stevens. That's who we just heard there with his Waiting for Spring. Perhaps a little bit more appropriate for December, but uh, we are waiting for the weather to kind of stabilize here and let us know. You know, it's going to be a few more weeks probably before we can really get out there and start planting. But uh, yeah, here we go. Wow. All right. So we had some good news. Well, Everybody had some good news, in my opinion, last week. And that is that uh, according to the Senate, the U.S. Senate, with a narrow vote of 53 to 47, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson has been confirmed and will make history as the first black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. It was a very narrow vote, like I said. All 50 Democrats voted yes, and three Republicans joined them. Uh, Those Republicans were Mitt Romney of Utah, uh, Lisa Murkowski of Arkansas, and Susan Collins of Maine. Upon her nomination, a statement from the Biden administration called Jackson one of the nation's brightest legal minds. And Kim Tignor, the executive director of She Will Rise, an organization launched back in 2020 devoted to electing a black woman to the Supreme Court, spoke on MSNBC that day about the meaning of the moment. It's joy. It's relief. It's such a moment, she said. When we launched in 2020, I will never forget when we started calling for the first black woman Supreme Court justice. A lot of members of our own community were saying, well, does this woman exist? And to that, we decided to create a list of phenomenal black women. What this day signals is that now and forever, we will never be asked that question again. This woman exists. All righty. Congratulations to soon-to-be Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson. I say soon-to-be because, well, she's got to, you know, go through the process there of actually taking her seat on the bench. She's got to wait for uh, Justice Breyer's official retirement later this year. But by the fall session, she will be on the bench. So I was referring to an article there on LGBTQNation.com about uh, Katanji there. So uh, you can check that out if you'd like through their website. And again, I will be getting those posted as quickly as I can to the Facebook page for Lavender Hill. Moving right along, we're going to go from the good news into the not-so-good news. Uh, This time we're going to be referring to NBC News. Yes, I don't always use Pink News or LGBTQ Nation. You know that. 
So, uh, a Texas teacher faces losing her job after fighting for gay pride symbols in school. A battle over rainbow stickers at a high school near Dallas, Texas, has hobbled the Gay-Straight Alliance and left LGBTQ students feeling unsafe. This was... uh, from the 7th of April, 2022, Tyler uh, Kincaid writing for uh, NBC News. Uh, the school year at MacArthur High in Irving, Texas, began last fall with the administration scraping off rainbow stickers that had been posted on campus, prompting hundreds of students to walk out in protest. You may recall me talking about that last fall. Seven months later, LGBTQ students say things have deteriorated further. One faculty sponsor of the school's GSA is facing having her contract terminated. Another is preparing to resign, and a third has been removed from the classroom. The Alliance's weekly meetings uh, became monthly and attendance dropped from about 40 students to fewer than 10. The student newspaper has functionally shut down. Two teachers said that the school's principal asked teachers to take down gay pride flags in their classrooms and offices. Several students said that either they or their classmates have been called homophobic slurs and bullied and school staff members have failed to intervene. Some said they're discouraged by the Irving Independent School District's response to the concerns they've raised through the GSA and school board meetings, and they feel less safe at school than they did a year ago. Two students said human resources officers with the district questioned them about their involvement with the GSA. Yeah, try that one on for size. It feels like a target was put on us, said Adaya Knight, a junior who identifies as gender fluid and who said students have harassed them. LGBTQ students and teachers in the district said they've already been on edge because of the pressure schools across Texas and beyond are facing from politicians, parents, and activists to remove books with LGBTQ themes. They're also deeply worried about a state order calling for child abuse investigations into the families of transgender children, which was temporarily blocked by a judge. Nationwide, educators have raised concerns that new measures such as a Florida law that prevents teachers from discussing sexual orientation in third grade or lower could lead to a purge of LGBTQ teachers. And advocates for LGBTQ students are alarmed by some parents' recent demands that schools prohibit students from organizing GSAs, calling them pornographic and suggesting they would turn children gay. I don't know about you, but I was part of a GSA here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and there was nothing about pornography even being discussed. So I don't know what these parents are thinking about. Anywho, back to the article. The clash at MacArthur in a suburb northwest of Dallas was not the result of a new law or policy or a public pressure campaign at school board meetings, but the series of events has still left LGBTQ students feeling a new level of insecurity and some teachers in need of a new job. It's like they're being shadow banned. Christine Latin, one of five faculty sponsors of the GSA at MacArthur, said of the student group, Latin, a dance instructor, said she plans to resign after this school year over the district's handling of the issue. They're not going to come out outright and say, 
don't say gay, she said of the school's administration, but they're going to make it as difficult as possible for you to be allowed to express yourself or even learn about how you feel, who you are, and your identity. It all started with teachers posting small rainbow stickers, long a symbol of the gay pride movement, outside their classrooms to show students that they were LGBTQ allies. In August, the administration required that all the stickers come down, later explaining in a statement to NBC News that decorations in classrooms, hallways, or offices must be curriculum-driven and neutral in viewpoint to ensure that all students feel safe regardless of background or identity. The damage that was done by scraping them down was far worse than just never having them in the first place, said Rachel uh, Stonef- Stonesuffer pardon me if I mispronounce that, an English and journalism teacher and another of the GSA sponsors who was placed on administrative leave in September and barred from communicating with teachers or students. Stonecipher, who also advised the student newspaper, believes she was removed because she has been outspoken in advocating for LGBTQ children and encouraging journalism students to investigate the sticker removal. According to her personnel file, which Stonecipher shared with NBC News, the district's Human Resources Office believed that Stonecipher had called MacArthur's principal homophobic, which she denies, and that she made colleagues uncomfortable when she shared her opinion about LGBTQ issues. Last month, she was notified that the district plans to terminate her contract. Ultimately, those same things that made us very strong supporters for the LGBTQ students are the things that got us pulled from school, Stonecipher said of her case and another teacher who has also been removed. It's a pretty lengthy article here. You can read the entirety of it if you wish to at NBCNews.com. I'm going to be sharing that. Actually, I already have shared that one on the Lavender Hill page on Facebook there. So uh, go ahead, check that out. Follow that link if you want and if you can. It's time to get back into uh, some music here. And uh, yeah, I'm going to leave things in the order that I've got here because... Know, this might pertain. I don't know. Anyways, uh, Romanovsky and Phillips with their Queers in the Closet. Romanovsky and Phillips with Queers in the Closet. Alrighty. Well, like I said, that might be something that was kind of pertinent to what I just spoke about before the break. Uh, MacArthur uh, School there in uh, Texas. But it's definitely, I believe, appropriate for what I'm going to be talking about now. Going to Alabama. An impassioned Democratic lawmaker in Alabama calling out his Republican colleagues for their attacks on trans youth has gone viral after the state, after the state passed a law to, to jail doctors who provide gender-affirming care to minors. I'm talking about uh, Representative Neil Lafferty here and referring to an article by Alex Bollinger that was posted on Friday, April 8th uh, on LGBTQNation.com. Calm. Uh, to quote uh, Rafferty, did I say Lafferty earlier? I, I, I did. Let's see here. Which is it? Which is it? Which is it? Because I've got it in both places. It's Rafferty. There we go. Wanted to make sure I got that right there. I do apologize. Uh, to quote him, I don't know how this became a platform issue for y'all. I don't know where it became a central core issue to pick on these kids, to pick on these families. I don't know where it is or why you all think that this is something that we need to vote on, not just vote on. 
but put on the top of the calendar like it's a priority. The Alabama Senate passed an anti-transgender bathroom bill requiring transgender students to use the restroom associated with the sex on their birth certificate instead of their gender. At the last minute, the senators added a don't say gay bill that's even more restrictive than the one in uh, Florida that recently passed. At the same time, the Republican-controlled Alabama House passed a law to criminalize doctors who provide gender-affirming care to transgender youth, and that's what Representative Rafferty, one of 28 Democrats in the chamber with 75 Republicans, was speaking out against. He called out Republicans pushing the bill for their insinuation that the families of transgender youth don't care about their kids. It's a priority for us to be getting involved in private family medical decisions that are made with a team of health care providers that are made with the parents centering around the child who are surrounded by a team of health care providers, mental health professionals who are guiding them through this process. He asked and implored of his colleagues, you want to think you're just going to a dock in a box or willy nilly just getting prescribed this stuff because somebody just said, hey, this is it. That's not how being transgender works. And then he went on to discuss his own identity. Trust me, if I didn't have to be gay, I wouldn't be. You know how much easier my freaking life would be. This is personal, y'all, he went on to say. I'm trying to appeal to you that this is not small government. This is invasive. I just... Yeah. Just don't you dare call me a friend after this, he said. And he left the podium. All right. Well, wowza. Several civil rights organizations and firms, including Lambda Legal, the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU of Alabama, Transgender Law Center, and Cooley LLP have already promised to sue the state if it passes the ban on medical care. Shame on the cruel, heartless, and power-hungry state legislators that want to take away life-saving medical care from transgender youth in Alabama, said Carl Charles, senior attorney for Lambda Legal. We are ready to use the full force of the law to come down on this clearly unconstitutional legislation should it come to pass. Arkansas passed a similar medical ban last year. A federal judge has already issued a temporary injunction against that state's legislation, has a lawsuit arguing that the law is unconstitutional, works its way through the courts. <coughs> Perhaps that will be appearing before Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. All righty. Well, wowza. All right, that went on for size. I mean, you can, uh, you know, just search out. Neil Rafferty, that's R-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y on Twitter, Facebook, whatever, and you will be able to catch more of his comments, uh, be able to get some of the feedback from uh, people. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the Twitter threads is uh, from Kyle Whitmore, uh, who is known on Twitter as War on Dumb. Yeah, you heard that right. Okay, so what else can I cram into the next few minutes here before we take our bottom of the hour break? Well, how about some some good news? You know, we got to, you know, break it up a little bit now and again. Molly Sprayregan writing for uh, lgbtqnation.com. Uh, this is an article from Thursday, April 7th. Trans activist Precious Brady Davis is running for office to protect Chicago's water. Uh, Chicago trans activist Precious Brady Davis uh, 
believes LGBTQ representation matters everywhere. Running for Chicago's Metropolitan Water Reclamation District Commission, she would be the first out trans woman of color elected in Chicago history, and she hopes her campaign will show young trans people that they can do anything. I dare go so far as to say whether she's elected or not. She will have proven that. When folks say, uh, see themselves recorded in the arc of history, they say, I can be that too, she told LGBTQ Nation. For far too long, LGBTQ folks, particularly black trans people, have been removed from the narrative. I want to show young people that you have the ability to make your dreams come true. Many don't know a lot about the MWRD, but the role of which Brady Davis is running is a crucial role, crucial one. The commission is tasked with protecting the city's water source, Lake Michigan, as well as with stormwater management, wastewater treatment, and the health of other waterways. According to its website, its actions affect about 12.72 million people per day. Brady Davis was inspired to run for the position by out lesbian Deborah Shore, who spent 15 years as MWRD commissioner and was recently appointed by President Biden as a regional EPA administrator. Brady Davis is currently the Associate Regional Communication Directors for the Environmental Organization Sierra Club. During her four years with the organization, she said she has witnessed the extension excuse me, the extent to which fossil fuels pollute the air and water. In particular, communities of color are more impacted by this pollution. My whole career has been rooting in advancing equity and justice issues. In addition, in addition to protecting Lake Michigan, Brady Davis hopes to prioritize projects, quote, that advance community resilience, end quote, such as building playgrounds in communities of color, working with a diverse range of stakeholders to ensure communities are getting what they need, and increasing investments in renewable energy. Currently, the MWRD runs the reclamation system on fossil fuels. I think we have a great unique opportunity to transition to clean energy there's a lot more to that article for you if you would like to check that out over on lgbtqnation.com or you can just wait for me to post the link on facebook so that it's much easier for you to follow well i got a couple of minutes here so you get to listen to me babble yes babble that's what i'm going to do here for just a smidgen because you know we are always it seems in some kind of an election cycle where this that or the other thing is going to have some kind of an impact on us as a community on us as a city on us as a state or on us as a country so even though i was just talking about brady davis there in chicago she's going to have an impact on what happens in los angeles or what happens in new york city or dare I say it, what happens in Lincoln or Omaha, just by her presence on the ballot. Her campaign is going to have an impact. Why? Because as she said, when we see ourselves in the history books or someone like ourselves in the history books, we realize, hey, we can do this. She's proving it just by putting her name out there. So, yeah. Woohoo. I'm not going to quite get into a whole lot of local politics here, even though we are coming up on a uh, uh, an election here coming in May. I believe uh, we've already had or will be having that little primary. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes open on that if you live in the Lincoln area. Uh, hey, 
you're registered to vote, vote. That's all it really takes. You have signed up, as it were, for that civic duty by registering to vote. So use that and go out and vote. No matter where you live, if it's an election and you're registered to vote, vote. All righty. Well, I am getting ready here to go to that uh, bottom of the hour break. Like I said, you know, I'm going to you know do a little bit of ramble and babble and all that. But, uh, you know, that's because that's what I do to fill time, right? Yeah, that's obviously what I'm doing here is filling some time. Uh-huh. Yep, 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 yep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it just is what it is. It happens every once in a while that I've got to do stuff like this because I get so involved in what it is that I'm sharing with you, and I don't want to miss out. And I've got everything lined up, so no longer listening to me babble. Yeah, I got to put Madonna in there once in a while, don't I? Like a prayer. All righty, well, it's not going to be a fun one that I'm going to be talking about here because I am a passionate person when it comes to books. But we're going to talk about the uh, escalating, the dramatically escalating uh, school bans on LGBTQ books over the last year. Uh, Daniel Villarreal, uh, writing for LGBTQNation.com, uh, has an article from Friday, April 8th, 2022. Uh, according to uh, the headline, the uh, the subprint there, in 98% of cases, the school districts didn't follow First Amendment protections to ensure their government officials don't ban or punish free speech. About one-third of the 1,586, let me repeat that number for you, 1,586 books banned from schools nationwide have LGBTQ themes and characters. According to a report from the free speech organization PEN America, that's P-E-N America, the bans have largely come from Republican politicians, conservative school boards, and so-called parents' rights groups that have opposed such content as woke indoctrination that's inappropriate for school children. For their report, PEN America examined publicly noted book bans occurring from the start of July 2021 to the end of March 2022. During that time, school districts banned 379 LGBTQ titles, including 84 that deal with transgender topics and children. Four of the most frequently banned books all had LGBTQ characters or themes, including the non-binary and asexual graphic novel, Genderqueer, a memoir by Maya Kobabi, uh, which was banned in 30 districts, the autobiographic young adult memoir All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson, which was banned in 21 states, a coming-of-age novel, Lawn Boy, by Jonathan Evison, banned in 16 districts. And the nonfiction trans non-binary book, Beyond Magenta, Transgender Teens Speak Out, by Susan uh, Kuklin, banned in 11 districts. In addition to LGBTQ books, 283 of the banned titles deal with sexual or health-related content. 142 deal explicitly with sex. I believe that means... Uh, primarily in this case 21 cover abortion 32 cover teen pregnancy and 14 cover puberty of those 95 deal with sexual assault nearly 61 percent of the banned books dealt with racism or non-white characters many of these titles will now be unavailable to the students that need them most 
Overall, the report that found that the bans affected 1,145 unique book titles by 874 different authors, 198 illustrators, and nine translators, impacting the literary, scholarly, and creative work of 1,081 people altogether. Uh, the bans occurred in 86 school districts in 26 states, representing 2,899 schools, educating over 2 million students. The report showed a disproportionate targeting of books by or about people whose identities and stories have traditionally been underrepresented. In children's and young adult literature, such as people of color, LGBTQ plus individuals, or persons with disabilities, Pen America wrote. Unsurprisingly, southern states like Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, Kansas, Tennessee, Georgia, and Missouri were among the states that banned books most often. But Midwestern and northern states like Indiana, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and New York were also among the most censorious nationwide. Approximately 96% of all the bans were initiated by school administrators or board members in a wide range of ways, and rarely with the requisite written forms that most district policies officially require, Pen America noted. None of the books met the legal definitions for obscenity and pornography, despite claims to the contrary. More worrying, in 98% of all instances, that's a high number there, uh, the schools involved didn't follow best practice guidelines out by, outlined by the American Library Association and the National Coalition Against Censorship to ensure that the bans didn't violate First Amendment protections against free speech, which prohibit government officials from banning or punishing free expression. Today, state legislators are introducing, and in some cases passing, educational gag orders to censor teachers, proposals to track and monitor teachers, and mechanisms to facilitate book banning in school districts, Pen America added. At the same time, the scale and force of book banning in local communities is escalating dramatically. While the Supreme Court has recognized the broad discretion granted to local school boards in the management of school affairs, Pen America wrote, that discretion does not negate the responsibility of engaging in proper, considered processes concerning selections or removals. Even when school districts don't outright ban books, the political campaigns of hostility against queer and race-inclusive education can discourage teachers from discussing any potentially taboo topics. Legal threats such as lawsuits filed by the ACLU and community pressure have resulted in some of the banned books being returned to the shelves, but PEN America believes that librarians or teachers in numerous states are likely preemptively removing books or not recommending them in order to skirt controversy. Mm. Yeah, like I said, I am passionate about books, and I'm sure many of you out there are as well. And, you know, that, that, that little list there that I shared, which was just a very short list, there's many more to that list. But perhaps that might be some of your shopping for your uh, the youth in your life for them to read over the summer break. 
maybe maybe i don't know just throwing that out there uh so yeah i'm gonna post that as well as a more detailed report link for you from pin america themselves onto the facebook page for lavender hill uh sometime early or late this afternoon got a couple of things i gotta do on my way home so we'll just see how that happens but let's go ahead and get on to some music let's have some freddie mercury you know I want to hear his dulcet tones. All righty then, that was Freddie Mercury off of the uh, compilation album Lover of Life, Singer of Songs, the very best of Freddie Mercury. That was The Golden Boy. Nice long track there, you know, kind of had to have something to change the tone after talking about all those book bannings. Anywho, let's see what else I've got for you. Oh, I suppose we, we might as well... Uh, really, I promise it's not all bad news that I have to talk about. The leading U.S. conservative conference is meeting in, get this, Hungary to celebrate Viktor Orban. Mm -hmm, yeah, you heard that right. So the leading U.S. conservative conference is going to be celebrating Hungarian President Viktor Orban during their conference. Uh-huh. This is from LGBTQNation.com again for you with uh, John Gallagher uh, writing. This is commentary from him, so this is not necessarily what you would consider a uh, news article. This is more like an uh, op-ed piece. And this was posted yesterday, Saturday, April 9th, 2022. The Conservative Political Action Conference, the CPAC, has long been a gathering for some of the uh, fringiest characters in the Republican Party. The group established its anti-LGBTQ credentials more than a decade ago when it banned Go Proud, a, or Got Proud, pardon me, a group for gay conservatives from attending. Since then, the meeting has been a festival of conspiracy theories, hate-mongering, and spittle-flecked rage. Now, reminding you, this is commentary from Mr. Gallagher. Unfortunately, CPAC has also become part of the Republican Party mainstream, Party leaders trek to the meetings to pay homage to those in attendance and fire up the crowd in hopes of their votes and dollars. This year's meeting featured Donald Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, Senator Mark Rubio, and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So it's especially telling that the next CPAC conference will be held not in Middle America, but in Budapest. And the keynote speaker will be Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. What does Hungary have to do with American conservatives? Well, the answer is it's the model they want to import to the U.S. Orban has taken a country once committed to democracy and set it firmly on the road to authoritarianism. He's done so by using the very machinery of democracy. When Orban was elected in 2010, he set about consolidating his power. First, he targeted journalists, putting party hacks in charge of state-run media. Imagine Tucker Carlson running NPR. Uh, he created a special judicial office, again packed with his cronies, to make sure the courts were run by judges loyal to him. Kind of all sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? I mean, um, Fox News now has Caitlyn Jenner as a news commentator. And CNN has a, um, well, at least accused of being 
a white supremacist Nazi as one of their contributors. So, yeah, Fox News and CNN. Anywho, this is kind of a, a complicated commentary here from John Gallagher, and I'm going to let you read it for yourself. I do want to try to end on a little bit of a high note. Um, so, yeah, trying to end on a high note. What can I find? What can I find? Uh, well, let's see here. Got a little something-something here. What is this here? Pinknews.co.uk. Trans and non-binary people to get guaranteed income in groundbreaking sports. Palm Springs trial. Uh, Palm Springs, California will give a group of trans and non-binary citizens a guaranteed income in a new pilot program. According to the Los Angeles Times, Palm Springs City Council voted unanimously in favor of developing a guaranteed income or a mincome uh, program to support the trans community on March 24th. The allocated $200,000 for the pilot program, which will provide monthly payments of $600 to $900 to 20 participants who are transgender or non-binary to spend as they wish. Another 20 people will be monitored as a control group. Uh, this is one of those many experiments that are happening across the nation with that mincome. Uh, perhaps you uh, might remember one of the Democratic presidential candidates talking about that, uh, Mr. Yang. But uh, that's where I'm going to leave you. I got a whole bunch of other stuff I didn't get to unfortunately. But I need to get ready to hand things over to Deb Anderson with The Women's Show. She's going to be joined today by fellow programmer Rick Peters, a.k.a. Rickabilly, uh, who hosts the Friday evening show Rockin' Bones. Uh, he will be playing a wide assortment of new and old rockin' songs that will have you moving and grooving, as she put it on her Facebook page. Uh, she's also, in the first half hour, going to be playing, uh, you know, featuring music and then interviewing Mary Lou Fulton, uh, who is a social change activist and bilingual singer-songwriter about her debut album, Will Tell Stories. So stay tuned to that uh, from 12 to 2 today here on KZUM. I'm going to send you out with some Judy Small because, well, I think we need to kind of have this one. It's just kind of fun. Influenced by Queers.